0: Uh, well, good morning. I hope that you are looking forward to Easter. It is such a, such a beautiful time of the year to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, and a great time of year to invite someone who wouldn't normally come to church. So uh, please think, pray about that, and then uh, send out those invitations and, and invite people to come. Well, this morning I want us to begin uh, by thinking about how it is that we learn things. You know, uh, there's all kinds of ways we can learn, but in some ways, there's really two ways. One, one way we learn is by somebody telling us how to do something, and the other way is by somebody showing us, right? And, and often, which way we learn kind of depends on what it is that we're learning. Uh, the more simple things in life we can often learn just by someone telling us. So for instance, uh, doing the laundry. You know, when I was a teenager, my mom one day, she phoned home, and uh, she said, "Hey, hey John, Uh, I need you to put a a load of wash in the laundry, uh, a load of laundry in the wash. And uh, I'd never done that before, so I thought this is perfect. Oh, Mom, I'd love to, but I don't know how. That should solve it, right? Uh, My mom said to me, John, yeah? Your legs work? Yeah? Good, get off the couch and go to the laundry room. Okay, Mom. See the big button there in the middle, the one that says wash? Yeah. Turn it to 10 and pull it out. Water coming? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, bend down. Pick up the pile of laundry. Put it in. See the soap there? That goes in there. Oh, oh, okay. And just like that, to my everlasting regret, I was told how to do the laundry. I've had to do it ever since. Right? So this this is the thing. We can learn some things just by having people tell us how to do it. But there are other things that are harder to learn that way. There are other things that are better to learn by watching somebody. For instance, how to play an instrument. It's really tough to just have someone describe it, right? It's better to watch somebody. Or how to dance. Or this one, may you never have to learn this, but how to have someone describe to you how to land a plane after your pilot has passed out, right? I mean, these aren't the things that you want to have someone tell you, you want to learn by watching somebody do it. And the fact of the matter is, the more difficult it is to do, the more nuance that is required, the the more skill that is necessary to do something well, the more important it is that we learn by watching someone else who has done it and who knows how it should be done. And the story we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to teach us how to do one of the most difficult things that you and I will ever have to do. And that is, he's going to teach us how to face suffering when it comes into our life. But in order to do that, he isn't going to tell us how. He isn't going to, you know, give us a parable and say, well, try to figure this out. And he isn't going to give us a sermon on it. Here's six points for how to deal with suffering. Instead, he's going to show us. And so we want to look and see how he faces suffering in his life. And the story is found in Mark chapter 14. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn there. Uh, We began last week looking at the the passion of Jesus as it's told in the book of Mark. And if you remember last week, it began uh, with a story of Jesus being at a dinner party. And you remember there was this lady who broke this alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume, poured it over Jesus, caused a huge controversy. Well, Mark tells us that after that, Jesus and his disciples left that place and they came to Jerusalem. And they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, Passover for them is the equivalent of what Christmas is for us. It was a big, it was a big deal. And so they found an upper room in which they could meet. And there they had this, this long, beautiful dinner. You know, like you would have maybe on a Christmas Eve. And at that dinner, Jesus did a number of things. He washed the disciples' feet. He uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, which we still celebrate to this day. And later on, as the evening uh, went on, Judas slipped out so that he could go and find the chief priest and betray his Lord to them. And uh, scholars figure that it was somewhere around 10 or 11 when the meal was done. And so Jesus said to his disciples, come on, let's go out. There's a little garden outside of the city gates. I want to go there. And so they leave and And they head out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where we want to pick up the story today. It's found in chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. And this is what Mark tells us happens there. It says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. And began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. This is a, an amazing story. It's also a pivotal story in the passion of Christ. Because it's all about how Jesus prepares to face the suffering that comes into his life. So let's go back and look more carefully at it and see what it has to teach us about facing the suffering that comes into our lives. Start of verse 32 again. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Now notice, that's what he says. Just just sit here that's all not not like stand guard not like hey i want everyone to spread out uh, you know 20 yards apart all the way around the 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 garden and if you see someone coming you call me no he just says sit here i'm gonna go pray and then just before he leaves he's like actually uh, uh james and and peter and john would you guys come with me And so those three disciples come, and as they begin to walk further into the garden, he begins to to open his heart and begins to tell them what's going on and the pressure that he's feeling and, and, and what's happening. And it says that he became greatly distressed and troubled, and he begins to pour out to them all the things that he's feeling and all the pressure in his life until, in verse 34, it says that he says to them, he says, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. You know today, if that was us, we'd say something like this I am so troubled, I am so upset, I feel so much pressure in my life, I feel like I could die. Have you ever said something like that? Have you ever felt like that? Like like the weight of the world is crushing you so heavily, there's so much pressure in your life that it feels like you're gonna die. That's how Jesus felt. And he shares that with these disciples. And then he turns to them and he says to them, Remain here and watch. Now the question is this. Remain here and watch what? Watch for soldiers? Maybe. But, but the, other, the other disciples, they're just sitting by the gate, kind of cooling their, their heels. So that doesn't make a lot of sense. Watch each other? It's kind of weird. Probably not. So, so watch what? And I think the answer is Jesus wants them to watch him, to watch their master and learn from him how he deals with the suffering that comes into his life. Now, why? Why would he choose these particular three disciples? Well, again, some people would say, well, they're his favorites. So, of course, he would pick them. Could well be. But I think there's another reason. I think Jesus was very particular in why he chose these three particular disciples to come and to watch him face this suffering in his life. Let's start with Peter. Uh, Peter, on the way, on the very way to this garden, declared boldly, as loud as he could, so everyone would knew, Jesus, no matter what comes, no matter if everyone else abandons you, I'm not going to abandon you. I will be faithful to you even unto death. And you remember Jesus' response. Jesus is kind of like, Peter, really? It's not so easy. It's going to be a tough thing for you. And Peter, the, 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 the testing that's coming into your life is coming much sooner than you can possibly imagine. It's coming tonight. And I think that Jesus invites Peter to come and to watch him because he knows that Peter's going to face severe testing and trials in his life very shortly. And he wants him to see and understand. But it's not just Peter, it's James and John. They're not not far off either. You remember, if you go back a few chapters in Mark, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples are headed somewhere, and all of a sudden, uh, their mother, James and John's mother, comes up to Jesus. You remember this? She says, "Uh, ah, Jesus, can I ask you a favor? And Jesus says, okay, what is it? And before she can even ask, her sons jump in. Uh, uh, James and John. And they say, Jesus, Jesus, you know, when you reign in glory, can we sit, uh, one of us, on your right hand and the other on your left hand? And do you remember how Jesus responds to that? Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we're able. Yeah, of course, no problem. Wherever you go, we go. Whatever you do, we'll do. We can drink the cup. We can be baptized that way. And listen to how Jesus goes on. He says, and he said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. You see, just like Peter, they said the same thing. They said, Jesus, no matter what, we'll follow you. We'll do it. And it's interesting to note that all three of these guys made these promises when things were going well in their lives. Before they were actually face to face with hard decisions and real suffering. But now Jesus knows that for all three of them it's right around the corner. For Peter it's going to be that very night. And for James and John it's coming soon. In fact, James is going to be dead within a year because he'll be arrested by King Herod and executed because he's a follower of Jesus. So, These guys are going to have to face some very real suffering and very soon in their lives. And so Jesus invites them to come and to watch and to learn from him. And in many ways, we're not that much different from them, are we? I mean, when things are going well, when we gather here and and worship together, we sing these songs. Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. And when our world is good, we pray, God, thank you for what you've done in my life. And no matter what, (laughs) I will follow you until I die. And you know, when we pray those things, we mean it. Absolutely, we mean it. And yet, when we come face to face, it, then it's tougher, isn't it? Then some kind of suffering or tragedy comes into our life. And then we really have to decide. And sometimes that, that comes out of the blue. I mean, just, it just hits us. You know, the phone rings, we pick it up, and someone on the other end of the line says, you know someone you loved? They just killed in a car crash. Or, or our, our, our husband or our wife sits us down and tells us that they've been having an affair. Or, or the doctor calls us into our office and says actually the test results are much worse than what we expected. This is not good. Sometimes that kind of suffering tragedy just hits us out of the blue. Other times it's, it slowly dawns on us. And we try to ignore it. We try to push it away until we finally can't anymore. The dream that we had to get married or to have a certain career or or to have children or whatever it is seems to be slowly slipping away from us no matter how hard we try. And there's this growing sense of panic in our hearts. And suddenly we find ourselves standing at the edge of a really dark time in our lives. And you know at that moment that there's this huge battle in our heart and soul, right? I mean, you know this. There, then there are days, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, when you want to try to understand what, what is happening to me. And, and, and how should I respond to it? And, and why? Why is this happening to me? And where is God in the middle of all of this? And those are important questions. Those are good questions that we should ask. But how you answer those questions is going to make all the difference in how you go through that time of suffering. And that's why I think that Jesus invites these guys and us, really, to come and to watch. Because that's what he's going to do now. Jesus is about to enter into the most profound and difficult, the most severe and intense suffering that any human has ever had to walk through in his life. And now, now here in the garden, he's going to have that battle in his own heart and in his own soul. And he's going to wrestle with it. And he wants us to watch and to see and to learn. So we know how to do that when it comes to us. So let's look and see how Jesus faces the suffering that's coming into his life. Let's start in verse 33. It says, And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Now these two words are uh, very descriptive words. Greatly distressed. The Greek idea here is he was shocked. He was appalled by what was coming. And uh, this word troubled uh, literally means overcome by horror. In other words, as Jesus begins to face the trouble and the the difficulties in his life, he is appalled and he is horrified at what is to come. Which is interesting if you think about it. Because Jesus has known all along that his mission was to go to the cross, right? Right? I mean, when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he could have had an easy out, but he said, no, this is my mission, and I will see it through. And all through his years of ministry uh, with his disciples, over and over, he told them again, this is coming for me. And not long before this, Mark tells us that he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and nothing would come in his way. And even in his conversation with James and John and their mother, right? You know the the cup that I have to drink? Do you understand the baptism that is coming into my life? Jesus knew full well the kind of suffering that he would face. And yet, and yet when he comes face to face with it, when he stands on the edge of the abyss and he peers over it, he's appalled and he is horrified by what is to come in his life. And then look at verses 34 and 35. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now where Mark says he went, he fell on the ground and prayed, he uses the the, the Greek form of the verb there that means continuous action. In other words, it could be read like this. He fell on the ground and prayed and got up and fell and and prayed again. And then then he got up and he he staggered some more and he fell and prayed again. This is not like the pictures that you see, you know, Jesus in the garden under a tree, kneeling with the moonlight behind him in fervent and deep prayer. No, this is a man in agony. This is a man who's just pouring his heart out in grief and in in begging God. And he wants his disciples to see that. Now why? Because that's definitely not a pretty picture. But he wants them to see him because he wants them to understand the right way to face suffering in their lives. You see, there are a number of models that are held up for how a person can or should deal with suffering in their lives. Uh, the Greeks, in Jesus' time, they held up as their model Socrates. Socrates was uh, condemned to die by drinking hemlock. And the story is told that on the day of his death, he hung out with his disciples or his followers... Uh, and acted like it was just any other day. He was a stoic. And so he denied. He, he ignored the suffering in his life. Pretended like it wasn't there. It's one way to approach suffering. The Jews in Jesus' day actually had a different model. Their model came from uh, the Maccabees. The Maccabees tells of a number of uh, Jewish rebels. Who revolted against the, the foreign domination of Israel. About 200 years before Jesus came on the scene. And these guys, these guys were like the macho hero type. When, when, when suffering came into their life, they embraced it with zeal. And they were bold and they were hot-blooded. And their stories are of them being cut to pieces by their persecutors. while they, they cried out in praises to God. And that's another model, the sort of macho hero model of suffering. Bring it on. In our own day, in our, in our Western culture, we have a, another model, don't we? The, the primary model in our culture today for dealing with suffering is to run, is to do anything to avoid feeling pain and suffering. And so in our world, when people see suffering coming into their lives, they do all kinds of things. They break promises. They blow out of relationships. They move out of town. And if they can't do that, they, 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 they try to drown their, themselves with drink or with entertainment or with too much work. Anything to avoid the pain of suffering. And that's why it's so important for Jesus that we saw how he responds. He doesn't pretend like nothing is the matter. And, and he, doesn't, he doesn't act like the suffering was a great thing. Like, oh, this is so good, bring it on. But he doesn't run either. I mean, he doesn't abandon the disciples. You, 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 you pray here. You wait here while I pray. And, and, and I'm sneaking out the back. To escape to another city to start over again. No way. Instead, he faces the suffering that is coming into his life and, and he agonizes over it. Oh, and thank God. Thank God that he did. You know, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, suffering will come into your life But when it comes, when it gets up close and personal in your life, when it's not theory anymore, but when it's reality. When that day comes, if you look at it and you're appalled that it would happen to you. And if you're horrified by what lies before you. And if you beg God, please God, please take this away from me. Don't make me do this. Don't don't lead me here. If that's you, if you do that you are not a bad Christian. In fact, if you do that, you happen to be in very good company because that's what Jesus did. Not only that, he wanted you to know that he did that. This is the first point that we need to see here from this text. Jesus agonized over the suffering that he was about to face and therefore it's okay for us to do the same. To agonize about coming suffering is to be human. And Jesus was not only fully God. He was fully human. It's okay to struggle. To weep. To cry out. To beg to God. To agonize when suffering comes into your life. Jesus agonized over the suffering that he sees coming into his life. But that's not all. Look at what what he does next. Look at verse 36. And he said... Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now here's what Jesus does next. And, and this is the second thing he wants his disciples to see. And that says he gets very real in his prayers to God. He falls down, he begins to pray. But look at how he starts his prayer. He doesn't start by praying, "O oh, wise God, maker of heaven and earth. He doesn't even start with our Father who art in heaven. No, no. He starts with Abba. It's like saying, Daddy. Daddy. God. God, this is is bad. He goes right to the heart of the relationship. and, And he just begins to pour out his heart. And then look at the next part of his prayer. This is what he prays next. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. How many times have you prayed that prayer? God. Daddy, you, you're God, you can do anything. because you're God. So God, please, please take this away from me. God, please heal me. God, God, God you, you can do all things, so please heal my mother so that she can hear the gospel before she dies. God, God, if you can do all things, why wouldn't you make my husband love me more? God, if you're able, and I know that you're able, why wouldn't you bring our daughter back to us? She's wandered away. Have you prayed those kinds of prayers? No, Jesus did. There is nothing wrong with boldly asking God to rescue you, to take away the suffering, to heal the, the pain, to solve the issue. In fact, we should ask boldly, because we have a God who can and does do miracles. But he doesn't always do that. Other times he wants us to walk through the suffering. Because somehow, even though we don't understand it, it's part of his plan. And that's why Jesus always ends his prayer every time with these words. Get not what I will, but what you will. See, Jesus begs God to change his circumstances. But he refuses to set his will against the will of God. And so this is how Jesus prays. Right there in the garden. I want you to also note that he didn't just pray this once; he prayed it several times. If you if you skip down to verse thirty-nine, after he checked on his disciples, this is one, what Mark says. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Saying the same words, he didn't just pray this prayer once, and he didn't just pray it for a minute. He prayed it long and hard and repeatedly, saying the same words: "God, please take this away." Oh, and I love that. I mean, that's me, you know, when things aren't well. I don't just say a little prayer. Okay, God. Okay, I guess. I guess it's going to be it. No, no, I pray, God, please, please, please. That's what Jesus did. He, He wrestled with his heavenly father, begging him to take it away. And so it's okay for us to do that too. But then Jesus did something else that most of us miss when we're facing severe suffering. And we see it in verses 37 and 38. It says that he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus comes back after about an hour of, of wrestling, of agonizing, pouring his heart out to God. And he finds Peter and the others asleep. Now often when we read this, we think that Jesus comes back and he's disappointed. He's hurt. You know, his heart is breaking and and his really close friends, they're not paying any attention. They've fallen asleep. But that's actually not what's going on here. No. Instead, he comes back to them because he wants them to, to be watching him, right? I mean, he said to them, look, come watch and see what I do. And he knows that they're going to face severe trials very soon. And so in the midst of his agony, in the midst of his wrestling with God about all of this, he actually gets up to come and to care for them. Which is so much like Jesus, isn't it? He comes to Peter and he says, look, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Because he knows that when we're tested, when we face huge pressures in our life, often the temptation is to respond to them by sinning. When the pressure gets really intense, sometimes people sin by doing self-destructive things. They harm themselves. They blow their world up even more. And sometimes people sin by saying, well, if it's raining down on me, I'm going to rain down trouble on somebody else too. And they sin by, by causing heartache for others. And sometimes people are tempted to sin by turning and blaming God. By forgetting that that he is the potter and they're the clay. And too often we've seen people who have said, God, I will follow you anywhere until the suffering comes into their life. And then then they turn against him and they they deny him and they they walk away from him. Because they somehow thought that following Jesus meant that there would be no suffering in their life. There would just be ease and happy and wonderful all the time. Jesus says, the spirit is willing. You know, when things are good, it's easy to promise I'll follow you anywhere. But the flesh is weak. When it gets hard, when we have to make hard decisions, when we have to follow Jesus through deep waters, suddenly it's not so easy, is it? And that's why he says to Peter, you have to pray. You have to wake up. You have to watch and learn because even though you don't think it's coming, it's coming sooner Then you know. And this is the third thing that Jesus demonstrates for his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the midst of his own deepest agony. His own wrestling with God. He stops not once but twice to care for others who will soon face the same kind of suffering. Jesus cares for others who are also suffering. And you know, if you've suffered, this is incredibly counterintuitive, isn't it? I mean, when, if you're like me, when hard things come into your life, you want nothing more than to go and find a hole and crawl into it and wish that everyone else would go away. The last thing that you want to be doing is to be uh, reaching out to help others. And yet there's something powerful and beautiful and freeing when we do that very thing. And that's what Jesus does. He doesn't come back to these guys and demand them, Hey, how come you're not paying more attention to me? How come you're not more empathetic? Don't you know what I'm going through? No, that's not what's going on here. He comes back to care for them, to help them, because soon they're also going to have to go through it. He comes to care for them. And frankly, frankly, no one is better to care for those who are going through a hard time than someone else who's walking through the same thing, right? I mean, you can speak into one another's lives in a way that no one else can, because you get it like no one else does. Because you know how hard it is. You know the temptations. You know that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So when you're suffering, you should watch and you should pray and you should ask God, who else? Who else are you calling me to reach out to and to care for and to walk with? You know, maybe you're a father who's going through a divorce and there's just another father who's doing the same thing. And you just need to call him up. Say, let's go for lunch. Let's 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 just chat. Or maybe you're a couple that's going through struggle with infertility and you know that roller coaster of emotions. And you know there's another couple, you just you need to invite them over for dinner and just begin to share your story and, and to listen to pray for them. Maybe you're someone who struggles with chronic pain and you know someone else who also struggles, you just phone them a couple of times a week and just pray for 10 minutes. Just tell them I'm I'm, I'm thinking of you, I'm walking with you. Jesus cared for his disciples in the midst of suffering and in so doing he set an example for what we as the body of Christ should be doing for one another. And now, now in this story there's one more lesson that Jesus has for his disciples. And we find that lesson in verse 41. He wants them to see this. He says this, And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. You see, you see where he says there, it is enough? That could also be translated this way. It is settled. In other words, Jesus comes to his disciples now and he says, I have agonized over this. I have prayed about this. I have begged God and begged God. And clearly, he's not going to take this away. Clearly, he's going to want me to walk through this. So now it is settled Now there's no more kicking and screaming, no more pouting, no more like, okay, God, if this is what you got for me, I guess I'm going to do it, but I'm not going to like it. No, none of those things. Now, now he's going to actively submit his will to God. That's why he comes to the disciples say, get up now. Let's go. It's time. And this is why now he goes to meet the one who is coming to betray him. And this is the last thing he wants his disciples to learn as they watch him. He doesn't just passively give in to the will of God in his life. Instead, here it is, he actively submits his will to the will of God. He says, God, if this is what you call me to do, then I'm going to face it in the strength of your spirit. And this is so important. This is why he can face this incredible suffering in his life. Not not in some sort of stoic way like the fates have settled this, so I just have to endure it. And not with some sort of macho bravado, like, oh, this is so good, bring it on. But rather with a quiet, deep strength and confidence that this is God's will for him, and therefore God will see him through it. That's why Jesus can stand in front of a crowd of people screaming out that he be crucified, and his heart doesn't melt. This is why Jesus can stand before people who hurl false accusation after false accusation after him. And he can take it with dignity when others would rage against it. This is why Jesus can answer Pilate who has the power of his life in his hands with a calmness and with a quiet strength rather than trembling with fear and despair. And this is why Jesus can endure the brutal physical punishment of being flogged and hung on a cross for hours until he finally dies. Because in Gethsemane, he actively submitted his will to the will of his heavenly father. That's why the apostle Paul, looking back on this day, could write this about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He says about Jesus, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. In other words, by actively submitting his will to the will of God, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what Jesus did for us. How amazing, how beautiful. I mean, what have we done to deserve this? And yet this is what Jesus does. He actively submits his will to the will of the Father. And he wants us to learn from that. So, Question for you today is where Where are you at? Now, maybe, maybe you just entered the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe something's just come into your world, and it is it is rocking your world, and it's causing you pain, and it's causing you 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 hurt. And maybe when you look at it, you're appalled. Maybe you're horrified at what lies down the road ahead of you, and your heart breaks. You weep over it. You know, if that's you, you need to know that Jesus totally understands what you feel and what you're going through. He's been there. He knows the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the longing that it would just go away. And if you're there, you just need to lean on him. You just need to turn to Jesus and you just pour your heart out to him and you tell him because he knows, he understands and he loves you so much he will never, never, never leave you no matter how dark your world gets. Others of you, maybe you've been in the garden for a while. It's time for you to lift your eyes. It's time for you to look around and see who else you need to come alongside. Just gently and quietly. Encourage them and strengthen them. You know, here at Willingdon, uh, Willingdon, we we regularly talk about the importance of some sort of significant biblical relationship in your life, some kind of relationship where you can encourage and strengthen others, and they can encourage and strengthen you. And nowhere is that more important than when you're going through a difficult time. Don't withdraw. Instead, engage. And you lift your eyes, you pray and say, God, who is it? Where should I go? Who should I pray for? Who should I walk with? And then there are others of you who have been in the garden for a while now. And now is long enough. You've poured your heart out. You've asked repeatedly for God to take away whatever it is. You've prayed. You've begged. And for whatever reason. That you may never know until you stand before God in glory. He has said no. And instead he is asking you to trust him. And to walk through whatever lies ahead for you. And for you, it's time to say, it is enough. It is settled. The hour has come. And now is the time for you to actively submit. Not just say, okay, God, fine. But to say, okay, God, if this is what you call me to, if this is the path that you have for me to walk, then I will actively submit to you. And I will trust you. And I will walk through it with a a strength and a confidence knowing that you will lead me because somehow this is part of your will. And some of you should not lay your head on the pillow tonight before you settle this question. And you say, okay, God, it is enough. It is settled. And finally, finally, for for some of you, you're like Peter and James and John. Right now, there are no major issues in your life, just the regular stuff. And if that's you, praise God. That's God's good grace and his kindness in your life. And don't forget to thank him for that. But let's not be asleep in the comfort of our lives. Even Peter, though Jesus warned him, is right around the corner. Peter still missed it. He's still sleeping in the garden. Let's not be like that. James ended up dead within a year of that day. But John, John had the privilege to live well into his 90s. But even John faced all kind of suffering. And in his, what should have been his golden years, when he should have been surrounded by his children and his children's children and his family and friends. Instead, he spent those years isolated and imprisoned on the island of Patmos. You know, we never know when suffering is going to come into our lives. And it comes into all of our lives. So let's watch. Let's learn from Jesus. And let's keep praying and preparing our hearts to trust God no matter what comes our way. And the beauty is that we have this hope because Jesus has already gone before us. So we can follow him and he paid the price on the cross so that one day we can stand in glory and he'll wipe away every tear. There'll be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more sadness. And that's the hope that we can trust him. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for Jesus. Oh God, it's all because of Jesus. It's all for Jesus. This season, God, we especially remember the price that he paid and the sacrifice that he made and the suffering that he endured. And God, I pray for each person here today. Lord, wherever they are, Lord, may you meet them. And particularly, Father, for those who are really struggling, those who are really suffering. God, thank you for your deep love for them, for us, for all of us. Father, thank you that you promise you will never leave us Never forsake us no matter how deep the waters get. And so Father, I pray this day that you would guide each of us, that you would help us to be faithful to you. God, that we would, we would just uh, listen to your spirit leading us and that God, in the midst of whatever we face, there would be this deep, quiet confidence you're a good God and a faithful God and that you care for us and that you will see us through. And so God, we trust you and we lift our eyes to worship you and we bless you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.